Yeah. It is great. Uh, it is great to see you guys today. You're going to need a Bible. You're going to need a Bible and you need to turn it to Acts chapter 1. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, whether here at Rolling Meadows or in any of the other campuses, it's great to have you guys all join us and those of you online. Um, and you don't have a Bible, we actually have these really cool little, um, little, what are they calling them? They're like um, journal Bibles. So what's cool about it is it actually has the passage of Scripture on here, this side, and then an empty page next to it. And you can just t- take notes while you follow along in Scripture. This is for the entire book of Acts. We're giving them away for nothing. So they say there's no free lunch. That is a free lunch right there. So you can pick those up, I think, at the doorways. And if I lied to you about where you can pick them up, you'll have to forgive me because I don't know where you should get them. Um, Acts chapter 1. Um, I, you know, you're not really a pastor these days unless you mention the Lord of the Rings once a year. So I uh, thought I'd do that today. I'm going to mention the Lord of the Rings. Um, you can take that off of your, your box. Uh, I have a friend who's really, really committed to the Lord of the Rings. And this uh, last year, we all had plenty of opportunity to stay in our houses and watch things on Netflix or TV or whatever. And he, he told me that uh, as part of his quarantine, he watched the Lord of the Rings series in order. Uh, and he said it was the director's cut. So apparently that's you know, 30 hours <laughs> of movies. Um, and so he said he watched it, and I, and I said, well, what, what, like, what's the difference between watching it all at once and, one, and uh, watching just one at a time? He said, you miss so much in just watching it one at a time, because when you get to the second movie, there's a whole bunch of little hints that they give you, little uh, threads that they draw back to the first film that you wouldn't actually know if you just hadn't spent the last three hours watching the first one. I thought, that's interesting. I don't have 30 hours to spend on The Lord of the Rings, but... Maybe COVID is going to get me soon. Um, you don't appreciate a story when you see it in parts. The, the book of Acts is actually a sequel. It is meant to be read together with the book of Luke. The author is the same. Dr. L- Dr. Luke, he writes the book of Luke, and then he follows it on with the book of Acts, but he assumes that maybe you haven't been reading It's straight through from Luke immediately to Acts. And so he gives, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, he gives kind of, uh, you know, previously on Stranger Things, right? It's, it's, hey, if you guys want the shorthand version of what I just wrote about in, in all those chapters in the book of Luke, here's what they say. And so he starts the book of Acts by saying, in the first book, O Theophilus, right, the same guy who he wrote it to, book of Luke, he said, I, I've dealt with all that Jesus, keyword, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He began to do. So the way that Luke describes his first book, Luke, is that's just the introduction. That's just the beginning. This, the book of Acts, this is what God is going to continue to do. In fact, this is what Jesus is going to continue to do. And I know that if you look on your Bible, even on the front of our little thing here, it says the Acts of the Apostles. 
That is a, yeah, that, sure, that's the title, but the better title of this probably should be the, the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. What you're going to read in the book of Acts is a long list of stories cobbled together by, by Luke to show how this ragtag group of, <laughs> of, of men and women who were forged together changed everything. But it wasn't them who changed it. It was the Holy Spirit who is doing it through them. And so we're going to spend the next number of weeks in this new series in the book of Acts. Guys, I'm going to tell you that we're not going to go through the book of Acts from beginning to end all at once. We are actually going to take a section, and then we'll take a break, do some other stuff, and then we'll come back to another section, take a break, do some other stuff, and another section. So we're going to deal with the first part of the book of Acts over the next weeks. And we're going to start, like I said, in Acts chap chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. You might be asking yourself, why in the world would you choose to do the book of Acts? Like, what caused you to think about doing that? Well, we got a team of folks together, and we sat in a room, and we all said, what kind of books should we be doing in the next little while for, for Harvest Bible Chapel? And almost everybody in the room said, we should do Acts. Why? Well, let's be honest. Um, when you're in a storm and you're on the boat, you hunker everything down and you just try to keep your head below the waves. Right? You just don't want them to crash over your head. You kind of keep down, don't want to stick your head up so you get hurt. But then there comes a time when the storm starts to pass that you, your job actually in a boat is to raise your head up and to lift the sails and start to sail. I got to tell you, I think that Harvest Bible Chapel over the last few years has had to hunker down for a while, but guys, now it's time to lift the sails. So, so let's read about a bunch of people who hunkered down for a while and then the spirit started to blow in the sails and maybe, just maybe the Lord will do it again. So, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, what are we going to learn here? Here's a little outline for you so you can follow along. We are going to learn this. Number one, uh, we are here for the mission. Number two, God himself empowers us to fulfill it. And number three, standing and staring won't help. We're here for the mission. God himself empowers us to fulfill it. And finally, standing and staring won't help. Uh, let's, let's look at the passage that I just pointed out a minute ago, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We are here for the mission. So in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Let's stop there for just a second. This little phrase here is so interesting, right? He, by many proofs. By saying that, um, Luke is saying, look, at the end of my last book, at the end of the book of Luke, there were a series of stories that I included that described how Jesus proved that he was actually resurrected from the dead. Not spiritually resurrected, but actually physically resurrected. So if you go back to the book of Luke, one of the things you find is that after the resurrection, there are a couple guys walking on this road to Emmaus, and they're talking with each other about all that had happened in Jerusalem in those days, and they said, man, do you think this is actually a real thing? Did you hear that maybe this guy has risen from the dead? And 
all of a sudden, Jesus starts walking next to them. You know, he comes up like on the trail. Hey, guys, you want some trail mix? Or whatever. And he starts, keeps walking along the trail with them. These guys don't know it's him for some reason. And, and, and they start talking about, hey, it, it, do you know what's gone on in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, no, tell me. So all, this, all these stories about this resurrection, Jesus kind of takes the scales off their eyes. They see him for who he is, and then he starts to explain to them about the kingdom of God. Now that story starts to spread. Everywhere, there's all sorts of people who start saying, oh my goodness, did you hear about the two dudes who were walking to Emmaus and Jesus was with them? And other stories about the, the appearance of, of Christ to people. And so the disciples are in a quandary. They're trying to figure out if this stuff is real, is it not? Is it just a bunch of hallucinations that people are seeing? And so they're gathered together in a particular space at the end of the book of Luke, and then it says that Jesus appeared among them, and they first thought it was a ghost, because of course you would, right? Like, people don't rise from the dead. Their spirits come back, and, you know, they, they fly through walls and stuff, and you can put your hand right through them. That's the way ghosts work, because I know, right? <laughs> but Jesus appears to them, and the first thing he says is, hey guys, how's it going? But I gotta clarify something for you. I, this is the real deal. This is flesh and bone. So come over here, touch my hands, touch my side. And do you guys have any fish? Which, I'm sorry, Jesus, that's not right. Right? Fish. Blech. Sorry, it's not, I don't like fish. But he wants to eat the fish and because he wants to show that, look, the, the resurrected body's just like, like your body, but better. So he eats they rejoice, they're, they're thrilled. These are the proofs that are being mentioned here. He proved it to them by showing up and letting them touch and see him eat fish. He's with Peter at the side of the, of the lake and he has a barbecue with the guy. These are the proofs. He appeared to them 40 days and he was speaking to them about the kingdom I, I love this. If you guys ever wanted to go like to a, like a Bible camp or something like that, <laughs> uh, this was a 40-day Bible camp. It was a 40-day uh, Bible school seminary. Can you imagine being in that seminary with Jesus? They're hanging out with him all the time. He goes off and appears to other people and he comes back a little bit. Man, the questions, all those questions you have in your head right now about, you know, I don't know how it is that Noah, you know, what is the creation account about? I imagine these were the stuff. They asked him all sorts of things. And so this was a school. They're gathered together. They get all sorts of material that they end up writing down. What you've got in the New Testament is this. It's this little school passed on to you and me. This is the way Jesus wanted to do it. I'm going to give it to you guys, you apostles, and then you're going to go out and you're going to share it with everybody else. And we have that in a book. So if you want to go to the 40-day school, it might take a few more than 40 days, but it's in here. Speaking about the kingdom of God. What exactly does that mean? While he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John was baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you guys stick around in Jerusalem because I've got a gift for you. It's the Holy Spirit. Remember I promised it? Not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, 
Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is a completely natural question for them. What, what they're asking is, you remember all those promises in the Old Testament, Jesus, where it talked about how you were going to bring like heaven on earth? As soon as the Messiah comes and he wins the victory, then he'll restore the kingdom. He'll restore David's kingdom to Israel so that all the nations will come to us. And so, in fact, you have passages like Micah chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Picture this, right? You've got different mountains in different countries, and God is going to establish in Israel the highest mountain, and whoever has the highest mountain wins, right? That's first place gold medal. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples, these are people outside of Israel, the peoples shall flow to it, this mountain in Israel, and many nations shall come. And when they come, they're going to say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. Guys, these, this is the nations who are saying this. All the people who were fighting all the wars against Israel, they were like, hey, let's go up to Israel because there's the true God is there. For out of Zion, right, the mountain in Israel, that's higher than all the others, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, right? So no more fighting, no more war, and their spears into pruning hooks. They're going to be farmers instead of warriors, Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken, and you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The, here it is, former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem, so there's no more war, no more pain, no more fighting, no more arguments about whether you should wear a mask or not, or whether Afghanistan should have been handled, like none of that, none of it. No fights with China or, 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 or Russia or whoever it is that you think is your enemy. All over, that is the kingdom that is coming. And the people of the, 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 these disciples, they knew this. Jewish men, they knew that this was what, what was supposed to happen after the Messiah comes. So you understand why in Acts 1 they say, uh, Lord, will you at time restore the kingdom to Israel? Let's wrap it up. We're done, right? That's, that's the promise, right? Heaven on earth, bring it. Bring it down. <laughs> Here's his response. He says, well, it's not for you to know uh, the times or seasons. Seriously, can we just stop for a minute? Have you ever noticed how many people are trying to figure out the times and seasons for this? And like the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it's not for you to know 
yeah, but I know because I did the math. No, you don't. You know, 88 reasons why the Lord's going to come back in 1988. This guy named Harold Camping a few years ago in 2011, I think, said it's all going to happen, and he never did. Everybody's always wrong. You know why? Because uh, it's not for you to know. The times are seasons. Well, if we're not supposed to spend time thinking about the times and seasons of your return, which is a really important thing, it seems, what should we be doing between the now and the time that you will restore the kingdom? What do we do in this gap? Well, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's the plan, guys. You, you see how where you're in right now, you're in Jerusalem? Well, um, after Jerusalem, uh, you're going to be spread out to Samaria. You know those people you can't stand, your neighbors who are kind of half-breeds in your mind? You're going to go out to them and the rest of Judea, which is like the state of Illinois, right? From Chicago to the hated, you know, hated Rockford. <laughs> I don't know. Right? It's the next state area over. And then you're going to go to the whole state of Illinois. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. That's the plan. Between now and when I return, you're going to go this. And, and when you go, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify. That's what that means. It's going to testify to what you've seen and heard. You need to tell people. It's in the te- Look, a witness is somebody who shares news. I totally get it that we want to say, you know what, I'm just going to live the gospel. Well, you can't live the gospel. Jesus lived the gospel. You can talk about how he lived the gospel. That's the good news. That's the gospel message. Yeah, yeah, but I'm going to do all these good works. Awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig wells. Sweet. That's great. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is news to be shared. It's news to be told and proclaimed. You can adorn the gospel with all sorts of stuff. Good works, kindness, wells, food, health. In fact, you probably should. But those are not the gospel. They are adorning the gospel. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Yeah, but how are we going to do this? That's a long way to go, and that's really difficult. Well, guys, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you'll be my witness. Okay, so here's the point. Uh, The reason God didn't immediately usher in the physical reign of Christ on earth was so that his disciples could preach the gospel to all nations. The mission of God is the reason we are here. It is the reason that Jesus hasn't sucked you up into heaven when you came to faith in him. He left you here. Well, why? Um, You're going to receive power and you'll be my witnesses everywhere. Okay, so most of us go to Costco, and those of us who don't are liars. (laughs) We go to Costco. Um, 
And you know what happens when you go to Costco. The thing, you walk into the door of Costco, and you know, in your mind, you're like, I gotta, I'm, I gotta get milk, right? And you know, they're, they're sneaky, and they put the milk way back, you know? You have to go through the staff housing to get to the milk, right? So I'm gonna get milk. And you walk in, you say, I gotta carry the milk, so you, you get the big cart. And you start walking into the Costco, and it's not like three feet before you're like, ooh, batteries. We need batteries. I mean, I don't know if we need batteries, but we probably do need batteries. So you grab some batteries, and you'll go over there, and there's some tires. I bet we need tires. You get over the tires, and you've got tires in your, in your cart. And then you go, and you find some sort of mouthwash. And then you're wandering down the aisles, and you're looking at all the clothes. And next thing you know, you get a cart full of Diet Pepsi and meat that you've never heard of, but, you know, it's cost, it's, it's like two bucks. I don't want to lose money on it, right? So you, you, every, you got everything. And you look at your watch, oh, time, and so you start going to the front. They always ask you the same thing. You find everything. Yep, you get in the car, you know, you either leave your cart in the middle of the drive, parking lot so everyone gets mad, or you walk it over. And then, you're driving home, you get a phone call from the person who sent you to get the milk, and they say, did you get milk? And you're like, ah, I got Costco'd. Right? <laughs> yes, you got Costco'd. So you go with a mission, and you get distracted by all sorts of really good things. You probably need tires. But that's not the reason you went. The reason you went was for milk. I, I, I fear that the Christian church is perpetually Costco'd. I, I fear that what's going on in our lives is that Jesus has left us here, that you will be my witnesses in Judea, to everywhere. The Spirit will fill you. That's the reason that you're here. That is the main focus. There are a thousand other good things in the world that we all get distracted on and we completely forget the milk. We're here for the mission. Southwest, Southwest Airlines has this, um, they're really dedicated to their mission and vision. Their vision currently is to be the world's most loved, efficient, and profitable airline. So if you work for Southwest Airlines and you have an idea and you come forward and you say to your bosses, right, um, I have this idea that we're going to walk up and down the aisles and we're going to have a busker there and they're going to, you know, they're going to do their busking and take tips. Whatever. Uh, the question that you will get in response from the executives at Southwest Airlines is, all right, um, does that achieve the purpose of being the world's most loved, efficient, and profitable airline? Because busking down the aisles, that sounds great, but you know what? If it doesn't serve the mission, even though it's a good thing, it needs to take secondary importance. It needs to be pushed to the side. Well, there's a reason we're here, says Southwest, and that is this mission, and so we are going to be dedicated, aggressively dedicated to that. Is that the church? No, seriously, is, are we aggressively dedicated to the mission of God that he left us here to do? William Carey was, you say who? 
All right, he's the father of modern missions. William Carey's an interesting guy. In, 18, in the 18th century, William Carey, um, he grew up in, in a little town in the middle of England. Uh, if you had said when he was a kid, this guy is going to be the greatest missionary in the history of the modern church, everyone would have laughed at you because he was kind of small. He didn't read well. He didn't, uh, actually didn't do much well. He couldn't teach. He couldn't play a lot of sports. He just wasn't good at almost everything. He was a forgettable person in his class. In fact, he, he developed allergies so bad in his early life that they had, to, they had to find a job. His parents, they had to advocate for him to have a job that was just inside all the time. And so he ended up becoming a, a cobbler. He, he made shoes. And so he would sit there. He, was, he wasn't great at it, so uh, he was always kind of an apprentice shoemaker. He eventually was given a business, and he, it totally floundered because he's not a very good businessman. He's a shoemaker. But one of the things that he, he would do when he, was, when he was making shoes is he would put a book in front of him because you've got nothing else to do, and there's no podcast, so you, you put the book in front of you, and you start reading. And the books that he would read... Uh, were from all sorts of places, but one of the, the key places that he, he read was about uh, voyages and adventures, right? This kid from middle England never was going to go anywhere, but he just loved the idea of it. And so he, he started to read a book called um, The Last Voyage of Captain Cook, which talked about, you know, adventure in the South Seas and, and you know, getting treasure and fame for all that he did. But but where everybody else saw adventure, William Carey just couldn't get over the fact that these people that Captain Cook was encountering were lost. So he came up with an idea. I am going to go to them. When he went to his church, the, the elders of his church reportedly said to him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Whoa. But Kerry was driven biblically by the idea that if they must know, we must tell. In fact, one of his biographers said the more he read and studied, the more convinced he was that, quote, the peoples of the world need Christ. He read, he made notes, he made a great leather globe of the world. And one day, in the quietness of his cobbler shop, William Carey heard the call. He later wrote of his conviction, if it be the duty of all men to believe the gospel, then it be the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor to make it known among all nations. Yes, William, you do realize that a good chunk of the world today has encountered Christianity and billions of people are Christians because this guy decided to engage in the mission that Jesus left. We are here for the mission. Does it take priority in your prayers? Does it take priority in your giving? You don't have all the money so that you can just Adorn yourself with everything. You have the money because God has given it to you for the mission. Does it take priority in your priorities? We are here for the mission. And God himself is going to help us fulfill it. 
Like I said, verse 8, again, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's really the big point. You're going to get the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and the result, right, this is the result, and you will be my witnesses. So the witnessing is drawn from the power of the Holy Spirit. Giving of the Holy Spirit is directly tied to the mission Jesus calls his followers to fulfill. In other words, Jesus empowers what he commands. So what stops us? <laughs> right? We have the power of the living God to go. Because I'll be honest, I'll tell you what stops me. Um, this week, by the way, I had a time where I was sharing all the things that stopped me, and I shared about seven or eight different experiences I've had where I have not done very well with sharing the message. So I'm going to share with you on one of those many experiences to show you that I don't do this well. So here, I was in college at the University of Washington, and I was studying in a place called the Husky Union Building. I was at a table that was on kind of an elevated area there was a little, you know, wire fence thing, and then down below there were some other people eating their meal. I was sitting right next to the wire railing, and I was listening to this guy from Campus Crusade, now it's called Crew, and he was sharing the gospel with this other guy. And he was just not doing it well, in my opinion. Like, the other guy was asking questions, and the guy was saying, well, listen, there are answers to that question, but I just want to talk to you about, you know, he's kept talking about feelings and stuff, and I was like, oh, come on, right? This is terrible. So, honestly, I picked my stuff up, I went down the stairs, I sat down next to the guy who was sharing the gospel, and honestly showing love toward this other guy, I sat down, and I said, you need to stop talking, and I jumped in. And I, and I got into a really robust argument with this other guy about stuff. I was answering all the questions and pushing back, and finally, the guy, he, he was so upset, he got up and he walked away. And I said, I turned to the guy next to me and I said, well, and he, he just, he didn't say a word to me. He just shook his head at me and he got up and he left. So here's the problem, Jeff. It's not actually about winning an argument. Because in my mind, it was like, oh, if I win the argument, they're going to come to faith in Jesus. I just need to prove that I'm better at the debate than they are, Right? That's how everyone believes everything, right? You can you pummel them into submission. No. This other guy was showing love to him. But see, that, that issue, that all of the questions need to be answered, that stops me because I'm like, well, look, I can go and talk to somebody about the gospel. It's not the first question, you know, hey, do you know about Jesus? It's the second question they ask. Yeah, well, what about uh, the creation story and evolution? What about that? Um, what about the fact you guys say that there's you know, one God and all these other religions say all these other gods? Like, what about that? So it's not the first step for most Christians. It's that second step. It's that second group of questions. And we believe, honestly, I did more than others, but we believe that if we don't get the answers right, they won't come. It's not as crass as my experience or what I did, but... For the most part, we just don't open our mouths because we're like, we're not, we kind of stink at it. And the only way that we can engage in this mission is if we're awesome at it. But, but, uh, early church, Acts 2, they're all gathered together. This is an explanation of what was going on with them. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who did? 
Yeah, uh, the Lord added, uh, look at that passive, they were being saved. By who? Um, the Lord. The Lord added to their number. Um, Acts 16, 14, uh, Paul goes to a river and he starts trying to share the gospel with a bunch of ladies there. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, right? You need to read there, the North Shore, right? That's, that's what that is. God bless you, North Shores. You guys are awesome, right? But city of Thyatira, seller of she, uh, purple goods. These are kingly garments, right? So she's like a fashion designer in Paris type. She was a worshiper of God, which means she was kind of on the edge of the, of the community. And the, and, the, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Wait a minute. Who did that? The, the Lord did. <laughs> but Paul said something, right? Yeah, but who did the work? Um, the Lord did. Exodus 4 Hey, Moses, I want you to go in and I want you to proclaim the God. I want to proclaim my message to Pharaoh. And I know he's the most powerful guy in the planet, but I'm going to be with you. And he's like, could you please just find somebody else? Because I'm not good at this at all. In fact, I, I can't open my mouth. Every time I open my mouth, I stumble over it. I just stammer and stuff. And the Lord's response to this guy is, who made man's mouth? What's the answer? Yeah, the Lord. Uh, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, now, therefore, based upon the fact that I make mouths and I make speech and I'm the one who drives all this forward, there we go. And, and look, I'm going to be with your mouth and I'm going to teach you what you shall speak. It's all over the Bible, guys. That you and I are not the ones who convince people to follow Christ. The Lord convinces them to follow Christ. Success in the mission for us is not necessarily the conversion of people, but the doing of the sharing. You did not fail if you opened your mouth and you said something to your friend or neighbor. That's success. You got to leave it to God for what goes next. I planted, says Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. Yeah, but all my reasons are going to be terrible. I, probably. Probably. But Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers in the history of the church, he got saved when he walked into a little church and some old man who wasn't even supposed to be preaching that day because it was a snowstorm just started saying words. And Spurgeon starts crying. And the guy's like, what did I say? It's not what you said, brother. It's what God did through what you just said. Speaking of Spurgeon, he used to say when he would get up to preach, words that I say every time I copy him, every time I stand up to preach, he, with every step that he takes to get into the pulpit, he says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because he's a smart man and knows that he cannot, <laughs> through his stories, he cannot, through his tone of voice, he cannot turn people's hearts toward the living God. Only God who raises the dead can do that. But he wants to use your mouth and my mouth to do it. So the mission is why we're here. God himself empowers us to do it. And finally, um, standing and staring won't help. 
You say, where do you get that language from? Well, here you go. So when Jesus has said these things, and you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, as they were looking on, he was, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Now that would be cool to see, yeah? Right? I mean, if you were there, you'd be like, oh, did you just see that? You know, still looking because something else might happen. So entranced with this magnificent vision of Jesus being lifted up high and the clouds take him out of his sight. And you're standing there. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, I love this line, behold, look, two men stood by them in white robes. Now, if you go back to the end of Luke, there are two guys at the tomb when Jesus is resurrected. And they come in and they're like, what's going on? And these two guys are like, yeah, he's not here. And they make a second visit. This time they're looking up to heaven and they're so entranced with this vision, and they kind of wander up next to him. What are you looking at? Because that's what they said, right? Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Do you think that these two angels are looking for information from these men? Are they trying to ask a question? Hey, I don't, what are you guys doing around here? What, what do you see? No. They're, they're doing what I do when uh, my, my sons were younger, and I would say to them, okay, it's time for us to go and take the trash out. It's time for us to go and clean the garage, or it's time for us to mow the lawn, or it's time for us to do stuff around the house. And they would sit there uh, watching TV, uh-huh, yeah, entranced, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I would say, why are you still sitting here? Am I looking for information? No, it's a rebuke. This, guys, is a rebuke. Why do, you, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why, why do they make the rebuke? Well, obviously, he just gave you the mission. What is the mission? To go. And what are you doing? Standing, looking. Oh, but it's beautiful what we're looking at. Right. Um, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, like he's gonna come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there is gonna be a time where he's gonna return and restore the kingdom to Israel, but that's not now. There's a gap that exists between now and then, and you're standing here staring at him when you should be going to them. Standing and staring just is not gonna help. And I'll be honest, um, we still get focused on good things, good Christian things. The problem is the mission is sitting right in front of our faces. And we're enamored with the worship and we're enamored with the gathering. We're enamored with all these good things that should be part of the church, but where is the milk? Where, where is the mission? Let me, let me finish with this. I have a friend. Um, I worked at Budget Rent-A-Car for a while, don't ask. And uh, it was quiet. We did, there's not a lot. We was in Budget Rent-A-Car in a little town called Bellingham, Washington. And uh, the reason you've never heard of it is because nobody else has either. And so if you're renting cars in Bellingham, Washington, there's like three a day. So 
but for some reason there were two of us working. <laughs> I don't know. So we, we would sit there, and this guy's name was Kelsey, and Kelsey and I would talk, and we'd talk, and we'd talk, and what do you start talking about? I mean, like, I'm trained, I have a master's degree in theology, and he's sitting there as a college student, so eventually we start talking about spiritual things. And he's asking me all sorts of questions, and I'm talking to him about it, and then I come back the next day, and you talk, I mean, honestly, it was great. He was, he had to be there, and I was like, yeah, I'll keep talking to you, but during that time, I was looking for a ministry position. That's what I was doing. I was only doing budget on the side. And so I was really focused on serving the Lord. I wanted to go out and serve Jesus in a church and get to know his people and grow them in grace. But every day, I'd sit near Kelsey, and he'd ask questions about God and all sorts of stuff. And I, but I would try to get rid of these questions because I would have to fill out my resumes, Right? I'd have to do, make phone calls, and I had time to do that, and I'd have to pursue all the avenues so I could become a teacher in a local church. Stop asking me questions, Kelsey. One day he said, Jeff, can, can we go out for like a coffee afterwards? Because there's some of the stuff that you said is really like sticking in it with me. And no joke, I said, dude, I don't have time. Because I'm, dude, I got, I got to go home and I got to figure out how I'm going to get a ministry position. Don't you understand, Kelsey? I'm trying to be in the ministry. Can't sit down and talk to you about God. Oh my word. To this day, I'm thinking, what, are you, what were you thinking? And I was thinking the same thing these disciples were thinking. Isn't it magnificent that Jesus is so fantastic and great? Like, I just want to focus on it. I just want to keep looking at it. But his angels are going, guys, there's a job to do. Well, where? In Jerusalem first. They're right around you. Look at all these people. Wherever there are people, there's the mission. In the little towns around America that don't have faithful churches, in the big cities that might have a lot of big faithful churches, but there's people. Wherever there are people, there is the mission. And it is the thing that we are here for. It's the thing that we are here for. Is it the thing that you are here for? There are lots of other good things, but is this the thing? Or are you distracted by... by Comfort and career success. Good things by your family. I'm, I'm just going to stick around places where my family is because it just is nicer. Family's great. Comfort is great. New cars, new money, great. All great. Great. But do you have the milk? You came for the milk. Charles Spurgeon, he said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm, uh, you know, 
I, I share these things and I, I sit around and study this stuff during the week and I'm reminded once again, Father, of the distractions that have taken up my, my own life and the, the focus that should be there on the mission of God with the money that I make and with the time that I have and the sacrifices that I need to make. Not everybody, Lord, is going to become a, a missionary like William Carey. They're not going to go the far off places. But Father, we, you have placed us in little offices and on street corners and in families and in a myriad of situations, Lord, where we spend time with, with people who need to know you. Let us pray for them. And let us, Father, seek ways that they might know who you are. Would you take this series in the book of Acts and would you use it to focus our minds on the horizon, the mission of God that you've left us here. Spirit, would you come and fill us that we might accomplish the great things you call us to, not for our sake, Lord, but for theirs, for the sake of your kingdom and for your name. Would you do it? In our time, we pray in Jesus' name.